supportive families. This is Emily Penrod, and the guest I have with me today is George Ballou. He is the clinical director of the Peers Academy at Heritage Schools in Provo, and I had the privilege of working with him for several years and can highly recommend him as an intelligent and conversant on the topic of autism. George, welcome. Yeah, no pressure, right? Thank you. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm here at Heritage RTC. Started here years ago when I was getting my undergraduate degree and fell in love with the idea of being a therapist and working with teens. Um, went off to graduate school and worked at a, a state hospital. I did some outpatient work and uh, taught a college class in sociology, and uh, a few years back, Heritage was going through some changes, and uh, I was reached out to, asked if I wanted to come back, kind of join the administration in some of these changes, and I, I jumped at the chance to uh, refocus my career back on teenagers and families, and it was uh, pretty exciting. And then uh, a few years ago, we saw a need an emerging need in residential care for 12 to 18 year olds with uh, autism and other neurodevelopmental issues. So uh, I've spent the past couple years studying the research and treatment modalities, working with the students, uh, joining up with local autism councils and learning from other professionals who work in different sectors of public, private, and uh, in university settings. So it's kind of a, in a nutshell, some of the things I do. What are you working on now at Heritage? I know you you work with students with autism. Yeah. Um, what I would say is when people hear autism, one of the things you hear is that it's a social skills deficit or a, an inability to read other people's emotions. And the prescribed treatment is social skills training. You have a child with autism, they yeah. need to get social skills training. Uh, but the problem is that sometimes you'd be overlooking why they haven't been able to learn social skills all along the way, uh, why they haven't developed in a more typical fashion, and uh, address that first, or at least in conjunction with the social skills. So the treatment methods that we've been focusing on and developing in our SPARK program, it's about acknowledging the, the neurological, emotional, and cognitive functions of the limbic brain and the nervous system that has undermined and will continue to undermine the development of healthy attachment, social engagement, self-regulation, uh, healthy relationship with your own thoughts, feelings, and, and body, as well as the development of executive functions and, uh, and the healthy identity. So that's what we've been focusing on and continue to work on is that kind of a treatment approach. Well, that makes sense. Um, I think most people understand that um, in the case of autism, the brain is just kind of wired differently, doesn't work quite the same as a neurotypical brain. And so you, and that this, I know this is true, that just taking the social skills approach 
rather isolates it. So this is interesting. How, how is this developing? You know, it's, it's been really exciting to, to work it out. So this is the way I, I would describe it to parents, if I could. I think of it as these neurodiverse children that we, that we see have one or more neurological differences that's affecting the quality of their life in a major way. One common challenge is that our students have faced throughout their lives, it has been difficulty processing information in their brains and nervous system. You know, information, it comes to us through our eyes and ears and skin and nose, and uh, as well as nerve endings in our body that senses temperature and muscle tightening and hunger. And we have to be able to register all the stimulation, correctly interpret what's going on, and then have skills and strategies and healthy belief systems to act in response in healthy ways. But we found that whether they are diagnosed officially with autism or a, a related neurodevelopmental issue, they tend to have some pretty common issues. They get overwhelmed or underwhelmed by information to their brains and body. Uh, you can think of this as that information processing disorder. And so instead of information being informative, leading to self-mastery or control, some information is experienced as assaultive and confusing or frustrating. So what would that be like? You know, how scared would you be? And then misinterpreting leads to a life of overwhelm and, and shutdown in defensive mode, leads to a lot of fight, flight, and freeze behaviors, and it affects their brain development as they grow up. So interestingly, we combine elements of other therapies with a uh, trauma approach, which may sound kind of strange treating autism through a trauma approach, but it actually makes a lot of sense. These kids every day of their life, they felt overwhelmed or confused or scared by the social environment, by their own body sensations, by not knowing how to fit in. So in a way, yeah, you know, these students have a lifetime of, of trauma. And so it's really helped us to frame the symptoms we see and to help us know how to help them feel safe and secure uh, and help parents know how to give that caregiving system. So as you've learned more about this, how is it changing the treatment you've, you've been offering? I think uh, for me personally, early on in my career, you know, probably like many therapists, I, I thought a lot about the intervention, you know, the actual um, what happens, you know, in the office setting uh, as being so vital, so important. And the more and more I go down this, this specialization, this, uh, this work, the more I'm convinced that half of the work is in creating a healthy caregiving system itself, having a predictable and safe and consistent caregiving environment, uh, teaching caregivers, whether that's parents or staff, how to manage their own emotions and affect, how to create uh, rituals and, and routines and rhythms in their day. And all of those things will, will help a child be able to attach and reach out in, in healthier ways for co-regulation. Then within that system, we begin the work of helping these students learn how to identify their, their emotions, their feelings, their, their uh, body sensations, 
learn ways to either upregulate or downregulate, as it's called in, in the neuroscience, their, their arousal states and their, their feelings, and then learn how to express it appropriately, all while helping them to strengthen and develop those, the executive functioning of their prefrontal cortex of their brain to, to help strengthen that logical, rational part to, to help them. I highly recommend parents check out like uh, AspergerExperts.com. Uh-huh. Uh, I, by the way, I, I have no affiliations with them, so no kickbacks to me, but um, I think you're supposed to disclose those things in, in uh, presentations. I, I recommend them too, and I also don't get any kickbacks, but yeah. they, they are great. They are yeah. certainly knowledgeable. Um, now, what training do you offer teachers? I know many parents are concerned. They, you know, it's a new school year. How can they communicate with their child's teacher? Well, I know you have teachers at Heritage. Talk about how they are trained. But what information could a parent give a teacher in a public school that would help them work with their child? No, that's a great question. Um, in education, I would assume that teachers are familiar with like functional behavioral assessments, ob- observations and studies that can be done to understand the function of a child's behavior, uh, why a child is struggling in class. I think helping to unravel for a, a, you know, the school administration and teachers what is behind and what is underlying a child's behavior and giving teachers as much as you can tools to prevent power struggles. What your child responds well to, what kind of approaches doesn't work for them and makes them feel defensive or unsafe, what you perceive as your child's tolerance window of different work and expectations, because teachers do their best to try and balance accommodating a child's need with challenging them to to grow and and do the schoolwork, which is very hard and very individualized for each child. So teachers, bless their hearts, do the absolute best they can, but with you know only the knowledge available to them for many kids in the classroom. So being being an involved parent who not only advocates for your child but informs teachers uh, about how their child sees the world and give them every tool to form a relationship with your child is, is so helpful, I think. My thought has been if parents had a document that included the like information you've provided on autism in general, but also with specific information about their child that they could take to a back-to-school night Absolutely. when they first meet their teacher, that that would be worthwhile. That would help the school year go much more smoothly if the teacher had that warning, this triggers my child, this calms him down, yeah. Oh, everything, and, and, and I would add to that because I think that is perfect. As the parent, you know your child better than anyone and you know their uh, treatment history and your parenting history. And so you can help uh, a new teacher not have to reinvent the wheel and make all the mistakes that maybe you made along the way of parenting. And you can cut to the chase 
and say, here's everything we know up to this point that works and doesn't work. You know, how, how to set boundaries. Students respond so differently to how to set boundaries. Um, so I, I think that is spot on, Emily. I completely agree. Yeah, I, I think that if there's that open communication, it, everyone benefits, especially the student. Yes, absolutely. Do you have any other recommendations for parents? I think parents can often be in a place of overwhelm. So getting additional resources to help you to, to advocate and know what options are available to you are very helpful. Educational consultants can do that. Uh, advocates with the school district. I know that it can get adversarial fairly quickly between parents and school districts. And, uh, and really it's a shame. I think uh, I've seen a lot of success with parents that find local uh, parent centers you know, we have one locally, the Utah Parent Center, that, that can help parents know how to speak in an IEP, how to ask for things, help them understand why the school district maybe makes decisions the way they do. And, uh, and that can help a parent reframe the relationship with the school district and make it as collaborative as possible while still knowing what are their rights and, and what can they reasonably ask for and what the school district is responsible for. So that would be the other thing I would say is, is get supports. So many parents have to become an expert on the whole system themselves by necessity. And that requires so much time and effort and energy and, and you miss it out that there's probably parents in your community that have been through what you've been through and have either formally or informally paid or, or volunteer are willing to help you walk down that road and have the greatest success. So, so please seek support. I think that is wonderful advice. Uh, and I have observed if you can start out that year building that rapport with the teacher, letting the teacher know, you know, I want your whole classroom to be successful and, and keeping the focus on what is in the best interest of the student and stay away from that adversarial role. Just remember, we all, we're all in this together. We all want what's best for the student. And, and, and I'll say that another thing that can help parents is remember that the school district is, is a collection of individuals. And, you know, if you've ever read the book, like how to win friends and influence people, if you're trying to influence the school district to be open-minded and, and try new things and maybe go the extra mile for your family, then trying to see their point of view as well while you're trying to get them to see your point of view can go a long way so that they don't shut down and feel, uh, you know, bristle or feel, feel irritated because that, that sabotages you. That, that makes it so they're not going to want to be as open-minded or help. And I hate to say it, but remember, you're still working with people. So, so, so. It, it's it's a messy thing sometimes. That's true. And I think the last thing you want to have happen is to be labeled as that parent. Oh, yeah. And all of the, everyone's cringing. Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah. but to Let's make it positive. Uh, but to balance that, I have met uh, too many parents 
who believe that means being passive. Uh, they think that being polite means just going with the flow. There is a balance between passive and being aggressive, and it's just being a, a assertive. I've met some ferocious mama bear moms who I think do a great job. They'll they'll advocate to me what their child needs, what they want, what their family needs, but it's a very assertive, it's not an aggressive or and and it's a great job. So by no means do I want to say to be passive. You should still get out there, you should still advocate, but you know, just just uh just keep using those people skills to to work collaboratively as much as you can. I agree. It's active involvement. Yeah, I like that. Active involvement. Yeah. Letting them know you care. You mentioned heritage schools. In some cases, a treatment center is the best solution. How would a parent know when they need to seek more intensive care for their child with autism? No, that's a great question. Um, You know, it's a funny thing. It's uh, working at a residential treatment center you wish we didn't have to exist. The goal is always to treat a child in the what's called the least restrictive environment. It's, it's, it's good on many fronts. You want them to be uh, interacting with their family face-to-face for therapy whenever possible. You want them to have that safe haven of their home and familiar environment whenever possible. Uh, plus, it's more cost-efficient you know, to use other methods. But the reason we exist is because students are, are living at home and they're going to school. And for whatever combination of factors, a child either can't be supervised and, uh, safely or properly at home. They can't be kept safe or the family doesn't feel like they can give their child the, uh, the therapeutic needs the child has on that 24-hour basis. If a child is being educated locally and the education is, is failing. The child is uh, failing their grades. Then there's that obligation that schools have of providing a uh, free appropriate education. And so school districts will look at what services they can provide sometimes even up to a, a local non-public school. But, uh, but sometimes school districts will get to the point where they'll, recognize that they don't have the capacity to ensure a child gets an education. And so they and the family look for other outside resources, uh, such as a treatment center that it's a residential placement where a child lives. It's like a therapeutic boarding school and children get therapy and educated all in one place, either short term or long term. So most of the, most of the students we have here They've been through years of different types of therapies, different levels of outpatient day treatment or even hospitalizations. And, uh, and they just know it needs to be something longer uh, so that it can provide consistent consistency to really set the pattern and change habits. It, unfortunately, there isn't, there's an element of time. I wish we could do what we do at an RTC in, in two months. But sometimes it takes six months, eight months, a year to change a neuro-rigid student to develop more neuroplasticity. I think that's well expressed. I, the ideally is keep them home 
work with the local schools, have that positive communication. Absolutely. Make a synergistic team. I've seen miracles happen when that team is formed of parents and school. It's awesome. That's why I love this field. Oh, I do. So I guess my, the main thing I'd want, one thing I'd want parents to take away is, you know, there, there are places residentially, it's not an, an inpatient hospital. You know, there are places that can have a very homey feel and be still be very fun and, and social with other kids. Uh, but just trying to figure it out at home on your own just is not a, a, a safe or healthy option for, for families. And so that's when I think they maybe need to talk to their school district or get an educational consultant and explore other options because that's, that's what they'll know about better than a parent usually. Yes. Well, thank you, George. I appreciate your time very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. You have a great day. You too. Thank you. That was some wonderful advice. I hope it helps. Have a great day.